Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Hello and welcome to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am Movie Mike on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Destro. That's Mike, D-E-E-S-T-R-O. And today I am talking about the greatest musical scenes in movies, according to me. Because what happened to me is I heard a song on the radio the other day and immediately I didn't think of the artist. I didn't think of the actual song. I thought of the movie I associated with. So what I did is I went through a lot of my favorite movies and picked songs that I thought were just used so well in the movie that I identify them with the movie more so than the actual song. So I'll get into that. I also have the top five highest grossing movie franchises of all time because I am currently re-watching all the Star Wars movies. And I just kind of realized just how well done those movies were for being released back in like the 70s and 80s and how they just crushed it at the box office. So I just wanted to see overall where they rank on the top five movie franchises of all time. I'll also tell you what my favorites are, and I will get into my review of Little Women, which was the last on my list of Best Picture nominees to see, and probably the one I waited the longest to see just because I didn't think I would like it that much. So I will give my thoughts on that. Again, just thanks for hitting play on the podcast. Um, Thanks for tagging me in your Instagram stories. But if you don't mind, after you listen to this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just go through, scroll through the bottom and leave a five-star review, write a little something because that helps so much for me to get bumped up there so other people can just, when they're scrolling through and looking at podcasts, they're like, hey, hey, what's this podcast? I'll check this out. So if you leave a review, hit those five stars. It just helps other people come on board and be a part of the podcast. So let's get into this week's episode without further ado. Let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So today I wanted to share with you guys what I think are the greatest musical scenes in movies ever. So this is all of my own personal taste. There's no statistics in this really because the other day I was driving and I heard this song come on the radio and I'll get to it later in my list. But immediately I associated with 
a movie rather than the actual band. And I just thought this scene was just so iconic in this movie. And I, I found it interesting that this song wasn't written for the movie. It was just a song they picked for this scene. So what I did was I compiled this entire list of just songs that were used in movies, not written for the movie, because there is a difference. Because there's songs like um, Lose Yourself is by Eminem. So that song was written by Eminem for the movie 8 Mile or Celine Dion, My La- My Heart Will Go On, excuse me. That song was written specifically for Titanic or even something like uh, I've Had the Time of My Life. Which was in Dirty Dancing, and they came to those songwriters and was like, we have this movie called Dirty Dancing. We want you to write a song for it. could potentially change your life. They wrote that song, made a demo for it. It got put into like a stack of demos that they were going through picking songs for the movie. And they filmed that entire movie out of sequence. So actually the final scene in that, which where this song is playing was the first thing they ended up filming. Didn't have the song at the time. And then they used that demo and were like, it was the last thing that they found in a stack of just all these tapes. And they were like, that's perfect. But that song was written with the intention of it being in a movie called Dirty Dancing. So what I took was songs famously used in movies and big scenes that weren't written for it. They just happened to be placed into the movie and later gained popularity because of the movie. So the song I heard on the radio was The Pixies' Where Is My Mind. Stop. Here's a little bit of The Pixies. So I hear this song come on, and immediately I think of the movie Fight Club. So this is the song. And here it is used in the movie Fight Club. Trust me. Everything's going to be fine. You met me at a very strange time in my life. such a great scene if you haven't seen fight club it's i mean it's a cult classic you got edward norton brad pitt and this scene is just i think one of the best scenes ever paired with the song and it was written on and released on the band's first album and it was never released as a single but after it was used in this scene in the movie it kind of helped the pixies be introduced to a whole new audience because they're like kind of like me when i heard the song i was like who is that band and then i started listening to the pixies after that you just look at one frame of this scene, um, the scene of Edward Norton and Helen Bonham Carter like holding hands where the entire world is just collapsing in front of them. And I can just see that picture and immediately associate that song with this movie. So that's why I threw it in here. Another one I was thinking of One of my favorite Martin Scorsese movies is Goodfellas, which he had The Irishman last year. It's up for some awards. But I think Goodfellas is just his masterpiece. But there's a scene in the movie where they just pull off this huge heist, and then there's like this falling aftermath action, and this song plays.
Jimmy was cutting every link between himself and the robbery, but it had nothing to do with me. So Martin Scorsese actually planned out this entire sequence, like with this song specifically in mind, but it wasn't written for the movie. And he even like synchronized like every single part of this scene to the song. The weird thing about this song, though, is although the part we know is this piano part. Like it's actually a much more rocking song. So it's written by Eric Clapton and Jim Gordon, and it was released by Derek and the Dominoes. So what the song sounds like from the beginning is this. So it's a pretty straightforward rock song. And then it kind of gets into this piano breakdown. Martin Scorsese to hear this song and to know, like, I want that breakdown piano part to be in the movie. So here's where it breaks down in the song. And there it is, the part we know in Goodfellas. Just right there, like, maybe four minutes into the song because it's like a seven minute song I just thought that's interesting and a really great use of music in a movie and that scene is pretty iconic just because it's the really the fall and the aftermath in that movie from when all the times are good um, if you don't know Goodfellas it's about based on a true story about Henry Hill and his involvement with organized crime and at the point where this song plays is where everything starts going wrong so pretty cool to know how that song synced up with that movie and how they took just the middle of that song and made it so iconic. Next up on my list is a song that the only reason I know this song is because of this movie. Probably, I would say, one of the saddest scenes ever in a movie. Now, I am Mexican-American. And maybe it's because the character in this is also Mexican-American that I kind of identify more with this movie than anybody else. But I would have to encourage you, if you haven't seen this movie... It is on Netflix now. And every time I hear this song, I get sad, even if it's out of context from this movie. But it's a scene that still gets me. While I was even loading the clip for this podcast, I genuinely got sad again. Um, the song is called Sleepwalk, and it's by Santo and Johnny. It's an instrumental. And here it is. But the movie is La Bamba, which is about the life of Richie Valens. Oh, it gets me right there. Uh, but here it is used in the movie. I'm going to try to not cry while this clip is playing. No. And now? No! Selection in honor of the dead. Not Richie! Not my Richie! Fuck! Not my Richie! Not Richie! Not Richie, Bob. Oh, I am weeping in the studio right now, but this song was written by Santo and Johnny as an instrumental, and they had like lyrics for this song, but they decided just not to use them just because that, I mean, just that steel guitar in that is really what kind of just, it's so sad, and the acoustic guitars in this, ah, it gets you. But that song, crazily enough, an instrumental went to number one on the Billboard Top 40 back in August of 1959. I've never really heard of an instrumental going number one. But of course, the most heartbreaking part in this entire sequence is when his brother Bob breaks down and screams the name of his brother. 
And that is La Bamba, ladies and gentlemen. Again, one of my favorite movies and just overall, I think, one of the saddest scenes ever in a movie. R.I.P. Richie Valens. All right, so next up on my list is a little movie called Wayne's World. You know the song, Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. And here it is used in the movie. I think we'll go with a little Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. Good call. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo, 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 So there it is. The song originally came out in 1975, and it gained popularity again with this movie in 1992 because once it hit theaters. Like, the song re-entered the Billboard Hot 100, and it ended up peaking at number two, just behind Jump by Criss Cross. But it did it again in 2018 when the movie Bohemian Rhapsody came out. So it's one of the only songs that has peaked in three different decades, in the 70s, the 90s, and again in the 10s. Crazy thing also about this scene in the movie is that if you watch close enough, Dana Carvey, who plays Garth, he doesn't know the lyrics to this song. So whenever they kind of move to him... In some like parts, he's just kind of moving his lips and like banging his head along because he didn't learn the lyrics before they filmed the scene. So again, the opening scene in the movie took a total of 10 hours, mainly because he didn't know the lyrics. And then by the end of it, all the actors complained that they had neck pain because they're head banging throughout the entire scene. So um, they had to do so many takes to, just to get that right. But I kind of went back and watched it. And I do pick up on it. I also notice a lot that they kind of just show the car driving. So I wonder if a lot of it was just done in editing because they couldn't really get the lyrics to sync up very well. And I have one more on my list of what I think is just a very underrated movie starring Ryan Gosling. It's called Drive, where he plays like a getaway driver who gets into like a really bad situation. Um, He gets this girlfriend who has a kid. And I think one of the most underrated movies of like the last 10 years or so, it came out in 2011. And there's a scene in the movie where all he does is takes his girlfriend and their kid for a drive. So here it is used in the movie. Hey, do you want to see something? Yeah. Okay. But it's just such a, like, calming, peaceful scene and what... Otherwise, it's kind of a crazy, chaotic, kind of ominous movie. Um, And just this scene kind of ties it together and creates a really special moment. So the song is by College featuring Electric Youth. And here it is from the start of The Hook. So what they're saying in the chorus here is a real human being and a real hero. And it's because this song was actually inspired by Captain Sully and him landing that plane on the Hudson. And there are other lyrics in the song that kind of reveal that. I didn't know that about this song until I was doing some research on it, but there's another part 
where the lyrics are a pilot, a pilot on a cold morning, 155 people on board, which is just straight up about that incident. So what it was is he had a conversation with his grandfather and who was telling him about Captain Sully and how he thought he was just a hero. the line so yeah he just had a conversation with his grandfather who was just so kind of in awe of the heroic thing that captain sully did and then he took that and made that song about it so the song wasn't written for the movie drive it was put out maybe two years before the movie came out ryan gosling and one of the editors on the movie approached the drive director with this song and like hey we should feature this song into the movie so they eventually used it in that sequence and what they ended up doing in that movie was like a really synth heavy kind of 80s feel on all the music in it. So again, a really cool movie, a really great musical moment that I thought and still think about all the time, just how perfectly that fit in that scene. Also, just a movie I kind of recommend you go and watch if you're a fan of Ryan Gosling. I think one of his strongest movies. There's also a recent musical moment that I was going to include in this list, and it was one that actually kind of got some backlash on. So you may know the song called Rock and Roll Part 2. It's by Gary Glitter, who is actually a pretty awful human being. He is currently serving 16 years in prison for abusing three girls. And the movie that used it was Joker in the scene where he's like dancing down the stairs. One of the most iconic scenes in film history, I would say, recently. And they kind of got some backlash just because of how bad a guy this Gary Glitter guy is and using his song in a really big movie was just seen as a little untasteful, which I agree. You could probably pick a different song for this movie, just given the context of it. But what I do like about it is that it's at a point in the movie, again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's kind of when he becomes the Joker. And I think the contrast of how dramatic that scene is to where how kind of uplifting the song is, is a tactic I really like to see used in movies where it's just really sad and a down in the dumps kind of part of the movie but you put an uplifting song under it and it just creates like this whole iconic scene of like oh man this is really a disturbed guy to where he just committed a really awful crime but in his head he hears a cheerful song like this and feels like dancing So again, I think they probably could have picked a different song, but I do like just the contrast and the moment it created in the movie. Um, it's a movie, it's a song now that I kind of associate with that movie because of that recent controversy. But again, they probably could have picked a different song because Gary Glitter, not a good dude. He's staying in prison for a really long time. All right, so that is what I think are the greatest musical scenes in movies. If you want to hit me with your own, what you think is the best use of a song in one of your favorite movies, just send me a tweet or send me an Instagram message at Mike Destro. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. 
Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. Paid by up-level rewards. Paid participation required. Actor portrayal. Attention all listeners. Are you ready to earn $750? Well, get ready because I'm about to introduce you to Get750.com, the ultimate way to earn. Here's the scoop. Instead of just streaming shows or playing games on your phone for nothing, you have the chance to earn additional cash. That's right. From trying out new subscriptions to playing your favorite mobile games, you can get extra cash in your pocket. Simply sign up at Get750.com and follow the instructions to start earning immediately. So, what are you waiting for? Turn your favorite apps into real cash with Get750.com. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to earn rewards for things you're already doing on your phone. Check out Get750.com today. That's right. Get started right now at Get750.com. Just go to Get750.com or Google Get My 750 cash. Follow the simple instructions and get your $750. That's get750.com. Get750.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, so now I want to get into the list of the top five highest grossing movie franchises of all time. I thought about this because right now I am re-watching all of the Star Wars movies. I just got through Return of the Jedi. It just kind of occurred to me how big of an impact those movies had at that time and how they just dominated the box office unlike anything before and until recently were like the highest grossing movies until another franchise came along which I'll get into. I wanted to kind of take a look at what ranks up there with those movies. So at number five it is Batman with a total number of 11 movies and a gross in the United States of 3.5 billion dollars. That's about 320 million dollars per movie. The biggest movie in this franchise was The Dark Knight. So this includes all of the Batman movies, the original ones, the Dark Knight series, and even like the spinoffs now with like Suicide Squad and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of interesting to see the evolution of Batman because he started out really comic book heavy. Those movies were just a little more cartoony. Aside from the very first one with um, Jack Nicholson as the Joker, like there was a use of guns in that movie, a little more violent, but in like the 90s, they were just more comic book style And even like a little more goofy with like Jim Carrey as the Riddler. But it wasn't until like Christopher Nolan came around and started directing the, the, you know, the Dark Knight series. That really just changed the game, not only for Batman, but for comic book movies as a whole, because they were really just taken more seriously. So it was just kind of cool to see how they really legitimized the comic book movie, where some movies you don't even see them as a comic book movie. Like the Dark Knight, that's just a great movie all around. And I'm interested to see how Robert Pattinson kind of takes on playing Batman Hopefully they get that right. At number four, you got Harry Potter with a total gross in the United States of $3.59 billion, Total number of 11 movies, which is about $326.5 million per movie. And the biggest movie in that was the first one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Comes from the book series, which the book on its own was just a global phenomenon. Who J.K. Rowling was at one point nearly homeless, like living in her car and became the highest paid author in the world. And these movies really resonated with me because I was a kid when these movies were coming out, and I kind of grew up with the characters. 
And the whole like wizarding world of Harry Potter is just like a really big escape for kids and almost nostalgic now. And I'm kind of curious to see how they kind of continue this franchise on because aside from the other franchises in this list, they're not making new Harry Potter movies. They're doing like some prequels with like the Fantastic Beasts, which also are included in this total. But I'm curious to when the discussion begins of we're rebooting the original Harry Potter movies because the first one came out in 2001 and now we're in 2020, 19 years after that. And right now you have just movies being remade all the freaking time. And I just think it's a matter of time before they kind of like maybe approach J.K. Rowling of like, hey, what do you think about rebooting this series? Which I don't really know what a reboot of this would look like, but it just seems like there's so much money kind of being lost here or untapped to where I just think they're going to have to do something eventually. A retelling of the stories or maybe just a prequel with Harry Potter based on the books. I would like to see that. At number three, you got the James Bond franchise with a total gross of $5.89 billion in the United States, a total number of 25 movies, which is an average of $235.6 million per movie, the biggest movie in the franchise being Thunderball. And for me, the James Bond movies is really a franchise that I just don't really get. They're not really for me. Um, I associate more James Bond now with the video game GoldenEye, which was on Nintendo 64, which was where I spent most of my time with anything with James Bond. But even like the new ones, um, No Time to Die comes out on April 10th, which will be Daniel Craig's last time playing James Bond, and there's plans to do more after him. Overall, I just think it's not that great of a franchise, mainly because so many of these came out in like the 60s and 70s, so a little before my time, and I didn't really find the reboots with Daniel Craig to be that great to me. So with everything in the top five, I think this is one that's not really worth investing a lot of time in, especially with 25 movies in this. And then at number two, you get to Star Wars, making $6.87 billion in the United States with a total number of 11 movies, which comes out to about $624.7 million per movie, the biggest movie being the first one, Star Wars A New Hope. Now, the original one was released in 1977, and I'm re-watching all these right now, which really holds up not only story-wise, but visually. Like, the special effects in it don't look like they are from the 70s. I like that they really used real props. They made real puppets for the movie, and it doesn't feel like I'm watching a movie from the 70s. Even the acting and the characters in it, I feel like you could kind of put that out maybe 10 years ago, and you wouldn't really notice the difference. So I just finished Return of the Jedi where they kind of get a little more ambitious with the CGI and kind of go away a little bit more from using puppets. So the next Star Wars movie won't come out until 2022 and that's about all that we know about it. I am curious to where they take the franchise from here on out and if they will ever come close to being in that top slot again. Because at number one, the highest grossing movie franchise is the Marvel Cinematic Universe with a total gross of $8.8 billion in the United States, a total number of 23 movies, which is an average gross of $385.9 million per movie, the biggest movie being Avengers Endgame. So there's a bit of a distinction you need to make here. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe is all the Avengers movies, Iron Man, Thor. So anybody you see in an Avengers movie is who falls under the umbrella of the MCU. But there are actually other Marvel franchises that make the top 10 list because at number 7 you have X-Men and at number 6 you have Spider-Man, which are franchises within themselves because what Marvel did initially is they licensed out their comic book characters to other movie studios. So 
they sold the rights of X-Men to Fox, and they initially sold the rights to Spider-Man to Sony. So all of the X-Men movies and stuff like Fantastic Four, those movies all fall with under... They're, they're Marvel comics, but the rights are sold to Fox. So that's why you would never see Wolverine in the Avengers. And while a lot of the battle right now going on with Spider-Man is because Sony still owns Spider-Man... And they licensed him to the MCU, a.k.a. Disney, once Disney bought them, to use him in the Marvel movies. But why also, why Spider-Man probably won't stay with Marvel forever. Because it's pretty expensive to keep him around. But there it is. Those are the top five highest grossing movie franchises of all time. If I had to pick a favorite, it would easily be the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just because there's 23 movies to pick from, and I'm a big Marvel fan. I've seen every single one start to finish. But if I had to go number two, now I don't consider myself a Star Wars fan, but kind of going back and watching these movies, it's kind of reigniting my love for Star Wars. And I think it would still be unfair for me to call myself a true diehard Star Wars fan. But seeing these original movies again, it kind of gives you that feeling of like, oh man, this is so brand new, this is cool, they were so innovative at this time. I would easily rank that as my top, two franchise and then what i would probably put as number three would be the harry potter movies but anyway yeah those are the top five highest grossing movie franchises of all time all right i want to get into my movie review now of little women which is up for six oscars and it was the last movie on my list of best picture nominees to see and i just put it off for a while just because i didn't know that the movie would be for me um so i'll get into that here in a second but it's directed by greta gerwig based on the novel little women um, she also did Lady Bird, so you'll see Saoirse Ronan, who's also in this movie, was in Lady Bird, if you've seen that. But here is a clip of Little Women. Look at me. I'm homely, and I'm awkward, and I'm odd, and you'd be ashamed of I me. I love you, Joe. And we would quarrel, because we can't help it even now. I'd hate elegant society, you'd hate my scribbling, and we would be unhappy, and we'd wish we hadn't done it, and everything would be horrid. So right away, going into this movie, I knew that the cast was pretty stacked. You got Saoirse Ronan. Timothy Chalamet, who plays the neighbor in this, Emma Watson from the Harry Potter movies and a bunch of other stuff, Laura Dern plays the mom, Meryl Streep plays the aunt, and you got Bob Odenkirk, just a bunch of people in this movie with really just strong acting talent, and I thought the story was great. Started a little bit slow, so basically what it does is it follows the life of this poor family during the Civil War, so it kind of goes through all four of the sisters who get their own plot line throughout the movie. And it overall just felt really real and authentic. The thing about it, though, is it feels kind of like a play, which this movie was, you know, it's been done in play form before. And I don't think that it's overly dramatic, but it's very theatrical. And I think that, for me, kind of takes a little bit away from it because when I see, like, just theatrical acting, it's harder for me to connect with the characters because I kind of am aware that they're acting, And it's also just a little bit confusing because throughout the movie, it shifts chronologically. It goes from present day to kind of back into like their lives. So it'll have whatever's happening now in their lives. It'll go to a scene maybe like a few years ago, which was a little confusing for me because it's kind of hard to distinguish um, aside from like, oh, they look slightly different or maybe they kind of changed the tone or the feel of the look of the movie. So it's a little bit hard to pick up on while you're watching. So maybe about halfway through, I felt this movie really just started to shine through where the story just kind of grabbed me because it's about like the struggles of women during that time and their ability to live their lives kind of without a man and how it was so hard for them just to struggle to 
find a career to where they could support themselves and without worrying about having to marry somebody who's going to make enough money to be able to live a comfortable lifestyle at that time. And the main character, Saoirse Ronan, is kind of just battling this idea of being kind of lonely because she doesn't want to, you know, just do what everybody says and be only fit for a marriage and love. And she didn't want her worth to be measured by who she finds as a husband. And I felt overall this movie was just a little bit sad, too, unexpectedly. There was a lot of sobs in the theater. There is some humor in it. But again, like I said, the the acting is just so theatrical that I didn't find it really funny. I didn't laugh throughout this movie. Other people were laughing and it just wasn't my kind of sense of humor. Um, I thought it was shot beautifully. The cinematography in this is great. It's just overall a very artsy movie, maybe too artsy for me. Maybe my taste just isn't refined enough to really enjoy this movie. It's very dramatic, which I liked. It's just the talking sometimes, the accents kind of takes me away from connecting with the characters. So it's not that it's a, it's not a bad movie. It's a really great story. It's really well done. I just think specifically for me, I like the story that it, where it connected with with women and the struggles of just everyday people in that time period, how they also kind of reflect the times of now. I really like that part and element of this movie. I think just the overall artsiness of it made me kind of lose out a little bit on this movie. So I give it 3.5 out of 5 corsets. And I will stick to my idea that I don't think it'll win for Best Picture, although it's nominated. I think Greta Gerwig is a great director and she should have been nominated for Best Director this year. Because I really loved all the characters in this. Shersha Ronan was great. Timothy Chalamet. What a dreamy guy. And Emma Watson was also really good in it. But I think maybe just wait down the line where it's streaming and watch it then. So those are my thoughts and review on Little Women. All right. And that's the episode for this week. Before I hop out of here, I got to give my Instagram shout out of the week to at Giselle80, who tagged me in her Instagram story that she was listening to the podcast bright and early on Monday morning. So that means a lot to me. Again, if you want an Instagram shout out, all you have to do is just screenshot wherever you're listening to this podcast and then post that on your Instagram story and tag me at Mike Distro, and I'll repost a bunch of those and give a shout out next week. Also watch out on my Instagram story because the week of the Oscars, they come up on February 9th. So that week I'm starting a contest where all you have to do is screenshot this image that I've made with um, what I have of the top list of Oscar nominees, and you write on there, you pick all of your picks and see how they fare against mine, and tag me in your Instagram story, and it'll enter you to win a $50 movie gift card and a little movie prize pack that I'll put together. So again, so that contest will start on February 3rd and it'll cut off right before the Oscars on February 9th. So on February 3rd, watch out on my Instagram story on how to enter with that, but it'll be real easy. You just put it in your story, you swipe through and you X off all your picks and then tag me in it and then it enters you to win. It'll be that easy, all right? Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I'll talk to you again next Monday right here on Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I will see you later. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. 
it might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And? Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.